0: And welcome to this, the 11th episode of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, Angus Og mcanally Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor. More recently, a director and producer here at Rise. I'm a 15-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And ladies and gentlemen, the hits just keep on coming. Um, wow. It feels like every week as we come to record this podcast, we've another piece of amazing news for you guys, and this week is no different. Last Saturday, we woke up to the news that Fight Night has been nominated as Best New Play in the Irish Times Theatre Awards, which is an amazing result. It's a fantastic seal of approval for the exceptional work of Gavin Costick in writing this special, special little play for us. And it's also a great testament to what was literally, in this case, the blood, sweat and tears put into the show by the entire creative team here at RISE. From the exquisite design of Colin Marr to the sublime direction from Brian Burroughs, the punishing workouts from our boxing coach, Kyle Redmond, the Trojan work from our producer, Brian Malarkey, and I suppose I made some small contribution myself, we all put so much into the show, and recognition like this is hugely gratifying. I mean the idea that on our very first show as Rise Productions we'd pick up the couple of awards at the Fringe and a nomination like this is pretty staggering and hopefully it might make life a little easier for us as we face into making the dreaded Difficult second album later this year. Of course, the highlight of this whole experience for me was seeing the big double-page spread that the Times ran, which had photos of me, Paul Reed, who's up for Man of Valor, and uh, Sarah Kenny from Laundry, splashed right across it. And it's crazy to think that 20 years ago we were just three kids hanging around together, drinking on Port Marnock Beach, and now all three of us are getting to chase this crazy dream of being professional actors and paying the bills, doing what it is we love doing. And I just hope that we get to keep doing it for a good long time yet to come. So, as ever, we are bringing you this podcast absolutely free of charge. We've promised that we'll never ever charge for these interviews, but we are looking for you to put your money into Irish theatre if you can. So, if your budget allows, go and buy some top-price tickets to one of the bigger houses. If you're a little bit tighter on cash, find one of the smaller fringe venues and support young, up-and-coming, independent theatre companies that might be charging only 10 or 15 quid. And if that's still outside your bracket, go on over to fundit.ie, the crowdsourcing website, where for a donation as little as a fiver, there are always great rewards there on offer and the warm fuzzy glow inside to know that you're supporting independent Irish theatre there are of course many ways that you can support this podcast without putting your hand in your pocket, go and tell people about the podcast whether that's in person over a cup of coffee or sharing the link as a Facebook post or retweeting the link that we'll put out on our Twitter page please do go and subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes and while you're over iTunes go back and listen to all the other episodes we've put out and leave us a review Uh, as we've seen from the chart success we've had recently the reviews are a huge huge uh, make a huge impact on our chart position so please do go and leave a review and if you feel that you don't have time to do a full review just click to rate us five stars preferably uh, it all helps and it pushes up back up, us back up the charts and does an awful lot for helping us spread the word about Irish theatre follow us on Facebook we are facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland and on Twitter we are at Rise Ireland so that brings us to this week's guest another director and another superstar of the Irish theatre scene the brilliant Joe Mangan Jo has carved out a really distinct niche for herself and for her company, the Performance Corporation, as the leaders and innovators of site-specific work here in Ireland. And the doors that they broke down over the last decade of what has been some really exceptional theatre have gone a long way to making possible the great work of people like Louise Lowe at New Productions today. Jo is great. I've had the pleasure of working with her a couple of times now, and... I just love the fact that she's so passionate about the work and that she cares so deeply about the business. She really is one of the good ones. So here it is, the brilliant Joe Mangan. Joe Mangan, I'm absolutely delighted to be chatting to you. Um, let's do, as we do every week, get back to the very beginning. Was there a light bulb moment for you when you said, I want to work in the theatre? There
1: was. I think there was a thing like a sort of a. A say a, sa- a lightsaver, you know what the <laughs> new ones? What are they called? Uh, the um, the bulbs that are eco friendly. Oh, yeah, so it kind of flickered into life in <laughs> spurts, but it it was. I don't know where it came from, I've no, unlike yourself with your wonderful pedigree in the business, I have no uh, background. Some, I think I've discovered since there were various sort of forays by distant family members into the amateur circuit, but uh, no, nothing. Um, nothing really in the genes. And I went to a school where um, on a Friday afternoon, Sister Claire would uh, have us put on little plays in, in the classroom. And... I remember prior to that a national school a teacher I had saying when we were about six everybody has a talent and I remember not being great at the Irish dancing I was good academically but there was only six in the class so that was kind of you know (laughs) that wasn't a big ask um so I thought I was mad clever, but uh, actually, you know, sort of discovered subsequently going into a slightly bigger class at 12 that I wasn't uh, the, to- the top brain of the universe. Right, okay. so, so I was waiting for this talent to arrive my whole national school life. Uh, you know it was I'm a lot older than you now Angus so the girls would be put knitting on a Friday afternoon wow. while the boys went out and played football so I never got to see if I was a ga specialist um, I certainly wasn't great at the aisle knitting or sewing or other things they made us do and railed against that and you know anyway that, that's nothing to do with anything so fast forward to age 12 secondary school Sister Claire a different Friday activity putting on plays making up plays and Sister Claire in my uh, Christmas and summer report, said Josephine, and I don't normally get called that apart from my granny anymore, has a great talent for acting. And I think that was my light bulb. Um, it was like, I, ha- I am good at something. This is, this is it. This is it. But wh- while we were putting on those plays, I ended up directing, not knowing what that was. So I ended up <laughs> just basically bossing everyone else around. And we did this, I, we did a version of The Wizard of Oz, and it was so brilliant, apparently, that they made us put it on in front of the whole school. So I played the Wicked Witch of the West and directed it for the whole school, and and that was just an out-of-body experience in the best possible way. Um, and then I suppose, uh, I suppose I didn't get involved in like the school musical or anything like that, that just never was my bag, and... Uh, I, that, that C just stayed with me and I decided to apply for drama and Trinity. I'd never been to a professional production, so when you went to the interview, you had to, you know, they sort of told you all the things you'd have to discuss, etc., and one of them was uh, the attendance at your last professional production. So I got my dad to bring me to the Gaiety to see The Borstel Boy starring Dara Kelly, who yes. I had the wonderful good fortune to work with recently on Slattery Saga Saga. Wonderful man. And... Um, so I had something to talk about, but I also had something to be extremely embarrassed by. So like my first professional experience sitting beside my dad, uh, is a load oh. of naked men running oh, around on stage. Yeah,
0: that's true.
1: Um, but, you know, I took that experience, went to the interview. My mother got me this shocking outfit because you had to dress up for interviews and I felt so uncomfortable and unlike myself. But somehow, you know, the combination of dad bringing me to see that play, mum putting me in a kind of nunnish outfit uh you know they really they you know they they saw the they saw the diamond and the rough and let me in
0: and at that stage for you in terms of from a family with if the family didn't have a huge history are they delighted that you're going to the bright lights of trinity are they disappointed that you're going into such a, a flaky career as the theater or any that, or all of the above
1: i think at that point it was uh well, okay, there's a degree involved, so you mightn't be
0: too bad. There's some legitimacy here somewhere. Yeah,
1: and I also was the first member of my family uh, to go to university. Okay. So, my gen- my generationally, there was nobody prior to me. Okay. Uh, so, and it was Trinity. Yeah. You know, so it was all good. Okay. H- however, fasting forward, uh, my mother used to say I was a teacher for a few years just because she didn't quite get what I did. Okay. But anyway, we might come on to that. <laughs>
0: And so tell me about your time at Trinity then. How useful was it to you? Hmm. Uh, At that stage, did you know, did you still at that stage want to be a performer, director?
1: I think I was very quickly, uh, well certainly when I went for the interview also, I mean interviews are so funny, but uh, I knew that they wouldn't be letting me in if I said I wanted to be a performer, so I said I wanted to be a director. Wow. So I lied and I obviously was a sufficiently good performer to get through that. <laughs> uh, and then and then I kind of grew into that uh, um, decision, I suppose, in a way. Do you know what I okay. mean? Or grew into that lie. Yeah. And, and actually, I did do a bit of performing in, in college, in players. But it was really third and fourth year before I kind of grew sufficiently in confidence. You know, I country bumpkin coming up to the big smoke. Uh, to kind of really throw myself into stuff and discovered fairly quickly that I was an all right performer (laughs) and a total control freak. So, you know, it's sort of, um, yeah, I I moved into directing. And not my proudest moments, you know, my early directing career, I was definitely a control freak. I had the big vision and imposed it. And I was, uh, yeah, yeah. So I learned a lot subsequent to that.
0: Um, are there any standout moments from that time at Trinity that, that you go, I, that's a lesson I have taken with me, or that's a show I saw at the time that really shaped where I was going to go?
1: Uh, I think all my mistakes, all my personal mistakes around that time, all the things I learned from um, things that didn't go right, you know, that uh, ability to fail in a small public. A smaller public sort of arena that yeah. might be the case were really formative. There were there were people working there. Um, there was an awful lot of exciting stuff going on in the summers. Um, the, the, the professional companies that sort of worked in the area would come in and often take over players for a month or two in the summer. And so you had people like uh, before your time, Jerry Morgan from the City Arts Centre who ran a company called Galloping Cat and uh, he was working with Andrew Bennett and Brian, now Ned, Dennehy yeah. at the time. And I ended up subsequently working with these guys in the City Arts. So the City Arts Centre and the Crip became my stomping ground kind of post-graduation. But they were they were coming in to, to players and working in the summer. And I was seeing stuff in the City Arts Centre and the Crip that was starting to tickle my fancy. Um, I think... Yes, actually. It wasn't something I saw, it was somebody who came into us because, frankly, the course at the time was very academic. So, the first couple of years, we'd be sitting down. In a, in, in a mini lecture hall and someone would come in and talk to us about German drama from the German department, Spanish yeah. drama from the Spanish department. And I was kind of starting to wonder why I was there. And then finally in third year, it really opened out. Um, Brian Singleton and Chrissy Poulter came in and yes. they started bringing in the people they knew from Europe. So I don't remember the chap's name, but a fella came in to lecture us in a module on... Um, the kind of theatre I'd never heard of in Ireland at that point. He called it environmental theatre. And what it effectively meant was you took the audience as your centre point and action could happen above, below, beside, around, underneath or inside them, and I really took that to heart, and that really excited me, and I started to, you know, um, read about people like Tadeusz Kantor, working in Poland, and people called scenographers, you know, people who sort of, you know, they weren't about writing the play, the big play, the, the you know, and putting it on, they were about taking the art form, growing it, changing it, and making it an exciting and different Place to be as an audience, and that really excited me. And I started in my, <clears throat> in my, you know, uh, nascent student days to go. I'm making. I'm going to make environmental theatre. I want the audience to be in the middle of the action, and and that really started to push me towards, you know, I suppose doing the site specific work, and uh, not never really doing arch theatre. That yeah. never excited me. Once I heard about that, there was other options.
0: And I mean, because a lot of the work that you've made over the years, like you say, is is not the traditional cross-arch stuff. I'm interested in in wh- what that seed of the excitement for you in theatre in general was there to begin with. If if ultimately what you were seeing wasn't ultimately the most exciting thing for you that you're going to go on and do, do you can you identify a kernel of something that was there in the more traditional stuff that was enough to spark it, that ultimately led to the evolution that it's now become? Or is that a crazy question? No,
1: it's not a crazy... There, there would have been... I can't identify specific moments, but probably within going to see a play in a place like the Abbey in a cross-arts theatre, there would always be a moment or two of magic for me. Yeah. And it wasn't when someone was sitting with a pint in hand, inevitably having a chat yeah. about something that frankly didn't interest me because it was written you know, for and about men in the 1950s. That's what it felt like to me at the time. It didn't have, feel like it had any relevance. But there was always a moment of magic. if there was a, If there was... a great director or a great performer that did something that, you know, was unexpected in a very traditional sort of format. Um, I think sort of post-college in Irish theatre, there was... I did end up teaching for a year, teaching drama, and God love the poor students, French, I think, (laughs) um, out in Holy Faith in Clontarf. And... uh, I, because I had a class, I was able to bring them to the theatre and get a free ticket for myself. Lovely. So I brought every class I had to Sheep's Milk on the Boil and the Peacock by Tom, uh, directed by Tom Hickey, written by Tom McIntyre. A mad play. Brilliant. Coming from that traditional place... Mm-hmm but messing with it big time. And so, you know, Pat Kinnevin was up on the table, stomping like something now, you know, you'd only see uh, Tom Waits doing a concert, just visceral and fantastic. Alwyn Fauré was on stage. I remember there was a woman called Bongi from Australia. I don't remember what her surname was, but she was amazing. And there were, oh, oh Jasmine Russell was in it, who I subsequently ended up working with. And that play just, I, then I started to see that it actually was possible to have extraordinary theatre on a stage mm. coming from the tradition and coming from the place that we grew up, that, that busts through the walls, that reaches out and grabs you, that isn't like watching the cinema. And I always felt Irish theatre in general at that time, and still, frankly, in the main, in the main is, is competing unsuccessfully with cinema. So it's right. in it's in the same frame. <clears throat> people are used to going to the cinema. They're used now. They're used to extraordinary special effects. You can kind of zoom right into the actions. You know, take a bird's eye view from a planet and another galaxy, and go right down to the mi- micro level. But we couldn't do that in theatre, and I just didn't understand why we were attempting to compete with that same frame when we can bring people into a whole other world by immersing them in that world.
0: Yeah. Okay. So talk to me about the route then from finishing up in Trinity to uh, to the birth of Performance Cooperation. It's a what, long road. <laughs> what, what, what happened in that intervening time?
1: Well, I think I was in last year in Trinity and somebody, a, a gentleman whose name I can't remember, unfortunately, was directing a play upstairs in Andrews Lane. It was the very first play that was happening in Andrews Lane Theatre. And I can't remember, he, he, he must have come in and done something with our class and... I said Is there anything, could I help out? And like Is there anything, could I possibly and he's like yeah yeah you could, you could probably be our ASM and I was like oh my god I was like all my Christmases have come at once so I got to be the ASM upstairs in Andrews Lane Theatre I got to paint those windows black myself to keep the light out and I, I was in heaven you know right. it was extraordinary so I was like that's my professional career it started finally and uh, and, and I suppose then after that I yeah, i kind of i, I can 't remember what order it came in, but because it was a, a particular period in in Irish history where uh, there wasn 't any work, yes. um, everyone I knew you know whether they were graduates or not, had no money and uh, so we all just worked together, so there was no nobody paying anyone any wages. We would find a room, get in, work, and put on play, so I ended up kind of directing with that uh, in in that way. I remember actually, yeah, the the year, uh, the summer I finished college, myself and the amazing Trina Neeguiver, who is uh, general manager of Dublin Theatre Festival, who came to audition for me, and uh, I (laughs) asked her would she like to do some production work, so she credits me with ruining her performance (laughs) career, but we started a company called Prism Productions, and we did our first professional, uh, we called it, show in uh, Players that summer after I graduated, God, I can't even remember what it was. But it was wonderfully exciting. And we took the audience outside into the front... front. Uh, it was when there was old players in the little corner of Front yeah. Square. So the audience were in Front Square. They were... Oh, it was Faust. That's right. I did a, a, a is Faust, and I did the adaptation. I was doing all the adaptations and the directing and all that stuff at the time. And uh, so the audience were outside in the front square. They were in the building. We brought them down into the basement. We cleared out the basement. Brought them out the back into the back of the um, the yard, the, the the garden of the what's the guy who runs Trinity called Provost? Yes. And um, so so it was it was. Um, the audience were moving around and it was wonderfully exciting. And of course, at the time, uh, your plays were getting reviewed in the Irish Times. That's just the way it was. So you were getting, you know, reviews in in your your newspaper of record for your wonderful work. And uh, you could work with casts of 15, 20, you know, everyone was just throwing themselves into it because we were all, you know, we were all on the dole. Yeah. There was, what else would you be doing? You either left the country Yes. or you 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 stayed and did what you wanted to do uh so so i was kind of t- i did that and then that grew into doing other productions and I, as i was saying kind of city arts center crypt became my stomping ground then i went off and i was on the way to visit my granny in belmullet and i discovered there was in county mayo there was a professional theater company in Ballinac called the youth u youth, youth theater company i think they were called at the time and again i kind of i sort of, knocked on their door and it went in it was this wonderful French couple called Pierre and Yvette who ran it at the time and again said is there any chance I could help out and you know be involved, so I ended up um, ASMing, then production managing, and then directing for that company right. over the course of about a year, year and a half, and that was an amazing experience. I was very fit at that time. I was hiking, uh, you know, um, flight cases from church hall to town hall to mini theatre, <laughs> and doing fit ups every day, yeah. and uh, it was a fantastic training ground. And then I think what happened was. Things were going great, you know. With the, the directing was was ticking along, but I was a kid, you know. I, was, I felt I was a kid. I was 23, 24. I ended up directing a Frank McGuinness premiere in the Dublin Theatre Festival in nineteen ninety four called Mary pressure. and Lizzie. No pressure, and and it went great, and all the rest of it. And, but I kind of felt around then. I didn't have anything to say. Who am I? I'm. I'm. I felt I'm a kid. I don't. Why am I? Why am I being given this opportunity to be directing these plays when I, frankly. You know i I don't know my craft I don't know myself, and I also want to save the world okay uh, so I was having that moment that some people do have in at certain points in their lives where I decided that this this uh, world that I had gone into was just a sort of a middle class kind of so what sort of a world, and I had nothing to say so I went off ostensibly to save the world for a few years and didn't okay and uh, did a bit of travelling, lived overseas in the states and South America, etc. But this wasn't
0: trying to save the world through theatre. No, save just save the world, saved the world. just okay. save the
1: world broadly. Um, and then, and then came back, and then ended up doing a little bit of world saving, working with Amnesty for a brief period. So and I got a little bit of the world saving off my off my uh, agenda, and and somehow ended up. Um, working for Fishamble for four years as producer right. which was again an extraordinary experience and an amazing opportunity. Um, so I ended up producing works by you know Maeve Binchy and Joe Connor and working with the the nicest man in Irish theatre Jim Culleton, Yes. and just learning huge amounts again and learning kind of how the business worked because obviously when I you know left Ireland we were all working for nothing there was no money involved right. and when I came back things had Change. There was the opportunity potentially to start a company and get on the funding ladder, etc. And I think after a couple of years in Fishamble, and Jim was so generous to me and let me direct stuff from time to time. Um, but I really had that need to get back to it. The the graw grew in me again, yes. and I had to get back to the rehearsal room. And uh, so I so so I st- I started to do that. I did a show called A Place with the Pigs in the Crypt. Uh, with the lovely Linda Goff and a guy called Pepe Roach Um, and I remember Annie Ryan calling me I was still a producer in Fashamble at the time she called me having seen that show and she was wonderfully supportive and just really you know she was just so generous and so lovely and I didn't know that people would be could be like that, you know. Yeah. I just assumed it was all very siloed and if you weren't doing the best show yourself, you wouldn't be telling someone else sure. they were doing the best show. So, she just her generosity actually was real. And I'm just remembering it now, chatting was a real um, encouragement to actually, you know, get because back into it.
0: Presumably that doesn't happen a huge amount between directors in the way that actors have no. a company of actors around them and, you know, going from show to show that there is that community and support structure. That's, presumably the role of director is a little more
1: isolated yeah it is and it's very hard to learn as a director mm. um, my, I suppose my learning would have happened you know when I was a stage manager in my early days but once I kind of said I'm a director it's a very hard thing to go into someone else's rehearsal room and see how they do it yeah. so you're you're you are you are quite isolated actually and you have to make it up yourself and you have to make up your own way of working and you learn from the people you work with yeah. so I suppose what I would have done was I would have gone to workshops a lot. Any opportunity, if there was someone international coming in with a set of skills that I didn't have, I would I would embarrass the hell out of myself for two weeks, go into a room with fantastic actors and, uh, you know, just yeah, feel the fear every moment in there, but put myself in the position, first of all, of being a performer so that I could kind of keep, you know in touch with what that is like but also just to learn from other practitioners and then just working with people um you know you develop your own sort of methodology i suppose but you also learn from the people you work with uh yeah it all feeds in
0: so now you're back you've done your time with fishamble mm-hmm. you've been directing away and your eye rings and it's and it's supportive yeah is that what gives rise to Candide was the first performance That's right, show.
1: yeah. What gave rise to that? I think Candide had been sitting on my shelf, because I used to do adaptations and, di- and directing, that was my thing. Yeah. Um, way back, uh, Dor- Dorian Gray would have been the first one I did, uh, when I was just finishing up college. And um, Candide was on my shelf for 10 years, and I really wanted to do it. So I ended up marrying this bloke called Tom Swift, who uh, was a journalist and a writer. Um, sort of journalistic writer and I inveigled him once we once we got married, and it wasn't a plan but once we did hook up, I said would you help me adapt this and, yeah. and it was a very strange and interesting process, I would adapt a few chapters he would adapt a few chapters and basically we mushed it all together it was done in about three weeks, we got some of the finest actors in Dublin um, including the wonderful Fergal um, McElhearn and uh, Stephen Swift and just fantastic people to come on board. Uh, Linda again, Regan O'Brien, um, and Michael Hayes, who's ended up being a TV boy. Right. Um, to, uh, and they were generous enough. I was I suppose I was operating on the kind of, you know, pre-saving the world model where you ask people to work with you, yeah. and they do, and they did. And um, and we were so lucky, Angus. We were just phenomenally lucky. It was... It, we had a great creative team as well in terms of design, Sinead O'Hanlon and Sinead Mckenna, and, uh, and we were just really lucky. But it was
0: it was a huge hit.
1: Yeah, it was a great show. Actually, you know, you don't know when you're doing something. Yeah. It's 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 it was a great show. I'm very comfortable saying that now. It was really enjoyable. I enjoyed watching it every night. I loved the delight on the audience's faces when various things happened, like when the choir, you know, sang in the middle of the. They were part of the audience, so you just think they're normal folks, and then suddenly they burst out into song. And it was, it, so I think I'd been storing up all these magic moments in, you know, those magic moments I spoke about that I would see in kind of traditional enough theatre. And always for me, it's like, what is the what is the magic moment for the audience? When do they go? When do they? When do they? When do you see the delight in their eyes? Yeah. And to try and find some moments like that in a production is fantastic. Um, and and you know, I remember then we won various awards. We won, I think, best production and best performer in the Fringe. And then we ended up. And then we ended up getting four nominations and two awards in the Irish Times Irish Theatre Awards, which is nuts. <laughs> like you know, it was nuts. And I was able to bring my mum and dad to the Burlo, mm-hmm. full spread you know, dad in a dicky bow for the first time in his life. It was, you know, we had, I think, two full tables of wow. PerfCorp people. It was an amazing night. We got up and, you know, got a couple of awards and you're able to stand there and, and be effusive to all the wonderful people who've helped you make something happen. And I, th- and I think from then, my mother stopped calling me a teacher.
0: That sounds like a pretty safe yeah, cut-off point. Yeah. So talk to me about what that seal of approval of congratulations! You are now the multi-award-winning um, Irish Times. What does that seal of approval do for an emerging company? Did it? What did it? What did it buy you?
1: Um, it, it well, it bought me the confidence to leave the job I was doing and to work for nothing for three or four years. Um, <laughs> Seems like a great <laughs> idea at the time. <clears throat> and. Uh, it was it was the confidence it bought us the confidence. It was a, it was a number of years before any money followed from from the arts council. But it, I suppose it made um, partnerships with places like Kilkenny Arts Festival possible. You know they were wonderfully supportive. Um, the, Claudia Woolgar was the director there at the time, and she, you know I had a conversation with her about a couple of shows we'd done, and she was like, "Yeah, but what are you doing next? What's what's." What's in your mind now? What are you thinking of? So I kind of blurted out this crazy idea myself and Tom had been cooking up and and she was like, yep, yeah, that sounds brilliant. Let's go for it. They put money behind it and they helped us make it happen. It was Dr. Lebetter's experiment.
0: Well, I was just about to get onto the topic of one of my all time top five greatest productions I've seen <laughs> in my life, Dr. Lebetter's experiment. It was phenomenal, site specific stroke promenade piece in the Kilkenny Arts Festival. Originally, how many years ago?
1: God, I think it was. I think it was two thousand and five. Or could have been two thousand and four.
0: I think 2004. Could have been. I can't remember. Earlier. Um, tell me about how that came about. It, it written by Tom. Written and by Tom. Directed by you. Correct. Yeah, no, but written by Tom. Because okay, we need to get off the, the site specific thing mm. with Performance Corporation because you're kind of number one guys for site specific work in the country. Kind now. I'm sure um, we,
1: we have plenty more competition now. That's we, true we were <laughs> these days.
0: But um, was the play written specifically with that v- host of venues totally, in mind? Totally, totally. It shaped to absolutely, fit that piece.
1: absolutely. So we went to Kilkenny on the invitation of Claudia, uh, with this vague notion in our head of some sort of audio tour thing. That kind of thing, I have to say, as far as we knew, had never been done before. So I feel like we were the progenitors of it. I know there's been a lot of that sort of thing happening since, but still, I don't think the idea of something happening live has really been captured yeah. quite uh, in the same way. Certainly, you know, um, you can, there's, you know, in lots of festivals, you can get your MP3 player and walk around, and there's people talking in your ears. But this was our thing was, it's live people in front of you, but they can have a conversation 200 yards away, a whispered conversation, and you can hear it. And that was quite you know that was quite important to us
0: so because everyone had a headset yeah. and there was a mix of the live feed of what the actors exactly. were doing with on stage or in the in of you, yeah. with a, a kind of a soundscape yeah. woven yeah. through it absolutely
1: well. um, so it was pre-recorded specially composed music wonderfully mixed by the fantastic Mr. Paul Brennan um, and uh it, 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 um, yeah, No. but going back to it was written for those specific spaces and Tom and I went, walked around had a look at what places might be possible and you know, the idea started to gradually emerge One of my favourite things about that show was that we kind of put it out there that it was based on reality so, Tom actually wrote a piece for the local press saying that you know he'd been doing a bit of research into Doctor Ledbetter. And he's a bit of a shady character, in Kilkenny's Kenny's history. And we started hearing this back in like you know b- pubs and restaurants and whatever. People going, oh yeah, oh, no, I heard of Doctor Ledbetter. Oh yeah, oh yeah, no, he'd be well known now back in the day. And <laughs> extraordinary stuff. Yeah. So, um, so you know that was when you, when you get that kind of buy-in from your audience, you're kind of you know and you're a shoe in.
0: Ultimately, it transferred to Edinburgh, did yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. In terms of a piece that was specifically tailored for uh, a particular mm-hmm. set of venues, what was that trans? What was the process of that transfer like?
1: Uh, uh, yeah, difficult. Okay. It was, <laughs> I think it was about a year later, um, we had mostly the same cast. The fantastic Rory Nolan as the Doctor. Um, Peter Daly took over from Fergal McElhan in Edinburgh. We had Damien Devaney. A lovely lady called Ray Hendry took over from Eva Maloney. And we had the fantastic Neve Daily through it. So, so cast, we had a couple of changes, but the main thing was obviously completely different venues. Yeah. But we found this brilliant place in Edinburgh, the Edinburgh Medical Faculty, which had like skeletons of, of elephants, which had a, a, an actual anatomy theatre from the 1700s. So like, you know, and, and had a dungeon. So right. we were kind of, we were grand. Yeah. The difficulty, I suppose, uh, for us in the transference was more that it was quite Irish and okay. we were transferring it to Scotland so you have kind of, like I suppose when you're doing something written for somewhere, being performed somewhere, you've got all the references are, are sort of, you know, based in that place mm-hmm. and kind of parachuting it into a completely different country you know, made it a bit more difficult but it went fantastically and sold out and all the rest of it but, um, but yeah like site specific theatre is only for mentalists <laughs> it's you got it. Like your first thing is toilets, yeah. running water, electricity, security,
0: health and safety.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's like you know, they're the first things. Frankly, you know, is it possible? And then yeah. let's make the magic happen. Because I think in
0: people's heads. You know the most prohibitive cost in people's minds is, oh, we'll have to rent a rehearsal space and a venue space, and that'll take up 90% of our budget and we'll never be able to do it. Whereas if we go site-specific, it'll all be free yeah. and it'll all be wonderful. And that's what we thought as well.
1: Because <laughs> we couldn't afford the project. Yeah. We couldn't afford any of the, you know, to be renting theatres when we started up. So that's why we started working site-specifically. That was it. That was one of the main reasons. That yeah. and my kind of hanging on to some Dutch lecturer telling me about environmental theatre in 1990-something.
0: Wow. So... Okay, so there was so much of an audio element woven through Dr Ledbetter's, talk to me about the work you have done in other media as in some of the radio stuff you've done and also some stuff you've done for film because to me your style of directing, the really heightened visual style that a lot of the performance corporation shows have would lend itself to to film certainly. How, how do you feel about working in those other media? Do you enjoy it as much? Is it a different buzz?
1: It is a totally different buzz, yeah. Um I've, I kind of felt like I did, a bit of, I did a bit of helping out making films kind of back in the early 2000s, you know, stopping sheep, walking up roads, that kind of thing. And I sort of felt, oh, I kind of done my sweeping the stage sort of internship. I might just stick to the old theatre for a while. So certainly being involved in the, in the film business in any role other than the director is no interest for me at yes. all. Um, and I find it really hierarchical. Okay. I find the business re- by comparison to theater where I feel like it's all about the team it's yeah. all about getting you know the right collaborators together and getting in a room and making the magic happen I feel like someone is always the boss of someone else in film okay. and and that, that doesn't excite me greatly at all but having said that we've made a couple of short films we had a, we did a little film called A Life which was on the Galway Film Fly and then subsequently kind of toured with in the 15 second film festival that um, Peter Johnston runs out of Belfast so that went kind of all over it ended up as far as I know in Sundance and all over the place wow. um, and uh, I, I've done some kind of TV special stuff but I think I think it interests me in a very broad way the 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 visual medium and it is something that I'm currently exploring in terms of just looking to see what might be possible and mm. you know we were chatting before we started about rise productions and the fact that you're you know keen to be broader than a theater company sure. and certainly when we started the performance corporation that was we didn't want to call ourselves performance corporation theater company yes. because we didn't ever want to be that so we've always had that Desire to be broader, and you know we we like a radio play, say for example that Tom Swift wrote for us, um, was nominated best radio play a few years ago, um, and so so we've 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 kind of edged into those other areas, um, and and then. I think, I think right now we have a really great desire to kind of move into more sort of even installation performance work. Okay. And that's sort of coming from the Space Programme, which is this uh, you know two-week residency that we run here at Castletown House, ideally once a year when we can raise the funds to make it happen because we pay the participants, which is yes. kind of an unusual scenario because um, I suppose that's another kind of core thing with the performance corporations. We've always wanted to be... We've always wanted to be really clear that we will pay our people. Whether we get paid or not is a completely other matter. But anyone who's working with us is going to get paid. And paid as well as we possibly can, but but the people, the extraordinary people, have come through that program from visual artists to scientists to composers to people who work in technologies I've never heard of. Have really inspired us to try and make a platform for that cross collaborative, cross art form work. And there's no place within our funding structure for cross art form. I don't know if you've ever no, looked no, at that. Yeah. It's sort of, you know, you have to say you do theatre or you do opera or you do film. You
0: can't do all. No, it seems like it's about. Um, making yourself as pigeonhole as yeah. possible and how many boxes you can tick off and go, okay, that's fine, that's doing that. But like you say, blurring You've got of the lines doesn't No, exist. forget about it.
1: And it's unfortunate and I think there should be room for it. Well, it's
0: even a really simple thing of if you wanted to do a two-week run in project followed by a bit of a national tour afterwards, you can't get funding to do all in one.
1: You used to be able to, yeah. back in the day.
0: But it just seems bizarre mm. that you could, if you had a product there ready to rock and roll, rehearsed, designed, set built and everything, yeah, that you can't get the funding to do a follow-through. It seems a bizarre bureaucracy. Well, I
1: think, I uh, I suppose, the Arts Council and all of the funding bodies, they they continually reinvent themselves and they continually reinvent the parameters in terms of how to access funding. They also reinvent where their priorities lie yeah. so you know certainly the past couple of years the priority has been on the individual artist and a production company is the boogeyman yeah. so it's like god love you if you you went through you would no choice 10 years ago when we started up yeah if you wanted to make work you had to have a production company you had to have a board you had to be constituted so that you had um so so that if there was any disaster financially that you know there would be some comeback yeah. um but the focus has completely shifted to sort of individual artists making work now to the detriment of production companies. And I can see it swinging a completely other direction at some point in the future. So I suppose, you know, if you're somebody who wants to make work like yourself or myself, you you, you find a way to negotiate that ever-shifting chi- ground. Yeah. And um, that's it.
0: How tough was it to negotiate, for the Performance Corporation, how tough was it to negotiate that shift? Because had you guys been getting multi, multi-annual funding... At one point, and then it, it shifted that, that kind of big shake up a couple of years ago. Yeah, it must have been tricky waters to get through.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were. <laughs> um, but we, at the time, felt really fortunate to be still around. Frankly, right. there was we were on a stream called regularly funded organisation, but we were right at the bottom in terms of uh, <laughs> the actual quids we were getting. So, okay. so you know, while we were in this wonderful RFO, you know, three digit, uh, three three lettered. Uh, compartment of fantasticness our money never increased it continually got less so actually you know being bumped down to uh, another funding stream ourselves and corn exchange i think were the ones that were that were bumped down rather than gotten rid of entirely it's called annual programming and yes we got a decrease in funds but we've managed to actually increase our turnover since we got a decrease in funds wow
0: and is that just through hard work and blood, sweat and tears and ingenuity? misery okay. and hard work
1: and blood and sweat and tears. Through 16-hour days, actually. Okay. Yeah. But that, that's just what it takes. Don't? That's just what it takes. So it's not for the faint-hearted.
0: So talk to me about the current program you are participating in. Mm. Tell me all about this. This is really exciting.
1: Yeah, well, I suppose we're personally coming in now 2012 to the 10th year of the performance corporation so in September this year it'll be our 10th anniversary I suppose that'll be when we did Candide for the first time uh, and I suppose I started to think about a year ago, or actually a little bit more, wh- what, is, what am I at? Is this it? This is all I wanted to do, Angus. You know, this is it. I was like, yes, I know what I want. I want to start a theatre company. Yep. I want to make work that I think is a, is extraordinary and special and wonderful and magical, and bring it to the widest audience possible, I, and, and bring it to people who don't normally go to theatre. That's always been a kind of real, you know, passion of mine. Um but I started to kind of go. Is the, do I still want to do this? Is this really still what I want to do? And started, you know, and and it was probably around the time when the the, the grounds were seriously yeah. shifting that you have to ask those questions. And I kind of you know reinvigorated myself. And and we've we've gone through the past couple of years, um, fortunately successfully, um, but I an opportunity came up last year to apply for this thing called the claw. Chlor- cultural leadership fellowship
0: which just trips on (laughs) it does
1: and i am the jerome Hines fellow on the clore cultural leadership fellowship 2011-2012 um and so i went for this interview post uh doing a show in washington dc called swan poodle that we did this year this past year it's kind of straight off the plane into this interview in London with six people on the other side of the table including Lord John Tusa who I'd never heard of um, like, like super you know super English super top of their game I'm pretty sure at least half the people were sirs and dames the other yeah. side of the table and I was me this side of the table and so I had this interview and it was extensive it was like a 45 minute interview and they're asking you the, the most difficult questions in the world um, about yourself and what you're, what you're, you know, where you're going, where you've come from, kind of what you're doing to me right now. Right, okay. <laughs> um, and And I just thought, there's not a hope in hell, sure. Like, you know, this is for other people. Yes. This is not for someone like me. So I was really, really, really surprised when they offered it to me. And it's just this extraordinary programme that effectively buys me time out from the Performance Corporation, kind of... Um, until the end of July, and a little bit beyond potentially, to learn, to go to extraordinary training, to uh, I'm being seconded to the Barbican for three months, Um, I've got a mentor in Vicky Featherstone who's the um, uh, she's the Artistic Director of the National Theatre of Scotland I get to grand sterling worth of coaching which is basically where someone sits down lets me talk to them for like you know a couple of hours at a time and you know helps you i suppose pursue whatever it is you want to do next and think about your your you know your career it's all about your 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 work what do you want to do where are you at in your head and how can you be a better whatever it is you are so I'm kind of just at the beginning of the process, and I'm already a bit of a kind of zealous about it, and a bit of a, uh, you know, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm in some sort of freaky cult. We don't have a secret handshake, but uh, we might develop one. Okay. Uh, but no, it's just, it's just, I feel very, very privileged. It's an extraordinary experience. You're kind of, you know, whisked away to. Uh, beautiful places in the countryside for two weeks at a time and they drip feed you the most extraordinary people you've ever met in your life, you know. Uh, the, peop- the, 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 the guy who runs, the sir who runs the Tate, the sir who runs the Royal Opera House, the dame who runs this. Yeah. And they come in and they talk to you and they, and they tell you about the mistakes they've made in their careers. And that's fascinating. Yeah. That's how you learn, you know. Yeah. That's how we all learn is from when you were at the bottom, what did you do? you know it's, it's it's a beautiful wonderful experience
0: so we have this wonderful programme now to recharge the batteries and renew and invigorate again and so next up for Performance Corporation is strangely enough another site specifically it is yeah
1: and I'm not directing it
0: wow I know. how do you feel about that Mm. <laughs> Tell us um, about it. Well What's I'm very excited about?
1: that the wonderful Louise Lowe is directing it for us. So that you know Who if, is if also well,
0: pretty talented at this site like, specific work herself. She
1: would be now, she certainly would be. She's an extraordinary woman. Yeah. I think she, and, a, and a, you know, the first few productions of hers I saw a few years ago, I was like, Oh, this woman's this she should be running the country, you know. Yeah. She's extraordinary. Um, so she's directing it, Tom is writing it, it's set on a boat. Um in, it's going to start off certainly in Loch Lanna in Castle Bar in April, okay. if you're if you're up that way. It's part of a public art commission. So things like that have been how we've sort of negotiated our way maybe around falling streams from other, yeah. you know, kind of central government agencies is sort of finding other opportunities. So this will allow us to kind of start a production and possibly bring it on further than that. So um, you'll get into a boat along with somebody. And they'll row you across the lake and they might tell you a story and they might drag something up from the deep or hopefully it won't be too stormy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so it's it's, um, it's an exciting... I'm looking forward to seeing it.
0: Yes. Coming to a lake near you soon. Exactly. That's amazing. Well, look, that's been just absolutely joyous. If people want to stay on top of what you're doing and on top of what the Performance Corporation are doing, Twitter, Facebook, website, what's the best way to stay in touch? Well, I
1: suppose for the Performance Corporation, it's theperformancecorporation.com. Um I, and that's, you know, this we're fairly up on the old Facebook and Twitter with that. I'm a kind of, I'm more of a Facebook girl. Okay. Frankly, and I'm Joe Mangan and I'm also Joe Mangan on Twitter. Um, I think something better than Twitter is going to come along, Ingus. Okay. That's my feeling. Okay. I just feel that the, the kind of barrier that the old hashtags and ats put up, uh, you know, you know, in terms of not making it so easy to interact with, I think they'll fall away, and I think something better will come along. And when that comes along, I'm on it.
0: Okay, I look forward to that day, Joe. Thank you so much for having a chat to us. And, and there's so much more we could have talked about, but I could talk like about your own
1: about this. wonderful work with the Performance Corporation. The, and yes, the,
0: we didn't need to massage my ego any bigger than that. <laughs> already is. Um, no, that's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Angus. So there you have it, the exceptional Joe Mangan. And genuinely, there was so much more we could have spoken about. Not least the fact that Joe's just back from New York with her production of Deirdre Kinahan's play Bog Boy, where she picked up the Best Director and Best Production awards at the First Irish Festival. Joe is just an exceptional talent. And I think maybe sometimes in this Dublin-centred world of Irish theatre that she doesn't necessarily get the credit she deserves. Because so much of the work she makes, whether it's Dr Ledbetter's or the Yokohama delegation that they did down in Kilkenny, or Drive-By that she did with Tig Murphy and Aidan Turner down in Cork, or Lizzie Lavelle, which was on a beach in Mayo, it's outside the comfort zone of Temple Bar and Dublin City Centre. But it's bringing exceptional, groundbreaking theatre to audiences who are crying out for it. And there's a very good reason why every show they do sells out, gets rave reviews and wins a rake of awards. And I have to say, long before I ever met Jo, I was a massive fan of hers. And it was such a delight to finally get to work with her. To make these big, bold pieces of theatre. And to have such a good time doing it. She's a rock star and... Any chance you get to catch her work or the work of the Performance Corporation, jump at it. So that brings us to our usual roundup of what's going on around town at the moment. Kicking off with The Family is the Brilliant Theatre Club from last week's podcast. Uh, that's running until the 28th of January at Project Arts Centre. I had the great pleasure of going to see their opening night on Tuesday and... I had a really good time. There are some hilarious comic performances in there from Shane Byrne and particularly from Jared Kelly, who is, apart from being a very handsome man, a really, really funny guy. It's, it's a great performance from him and that's almost worth the ticket price alone. Um, also running at the Viking Theater at the Sheds out in Clontarf is Satanta Murphy by Garrett Kyo, which is starring Garrett himself and Luke Griffin, two excellent performers. That's definitely worth going and checking out. And following on from that will be Peter Sheridan's 47 Roses, which will be coming in there next as soon as they're finished up. So two great shows there and uh, nice to have a new venue in the north side for us to go and enjoy. Um, Also, at the Abbey, the Government Inspector is just about finishing up. If you haven't got a chance to get in and catch that yet, these are your last few chances. Go and see the wonderful Rory Nolan's award-nominated role. Uh, Of course, he's up for an Irish Times award himself. Robinson Crusoe and the Caribbean Pirates has another few shows left at the Gaiety, with brilliant performers like Michael Grinnell, the brilliant Keith Hanna, the gorgeous Samantha Mumba. That's a great day out for all the family. Little Women, of course, has been extended at the gate, so you've your last few chances to go and catch that there at Bewley's Cafe Theatre up on Grafton Street a wonderful little venue in the home of Fight Night uh, Those sick and indigent um, with the brilliant Mark Lambert and the awesome Jerry O'Brien being directed by the wonderful Daniel Reardon Uh, that's playing there at the moment but it's a limited enough run so if you're thinking of going in that's a great way to spend your lunchtime because that will be followed up by a show called Hollywood Valhalla um, with the absolutely amazing Stuart Roach who is a wonderful performer and a a good mate of mine Um, and also if you're catching this out on the Thursday then you have the last few nights of the Devil's Spine Band at Smock Alley which is that amazing mix of Japanese boot dancers with a live blues band and all these crazy visuals integrated through that's uh, it's going to be a very different night at the theater well worth checking out if you can get a chance to so that's us that is episode 11 in the books we will be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theater makers this has been the rise productions Irish theater podcast for Angus Oge I'm Angus Oge we'll see you next week